Chapter 26 Seven and Nine Years Among the Comanches and Apaches An Autobiography by Edwin Eastman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Danger Ahead We started again at early dawn, and commenced the passage of the defile through the mountain. The pass was torturous and rugged, but as we rode in single file, we experienced but little difficulty and after about three hours of alternate ascents and descents, we gained its outlet and debouched upon the plain below. It was a timber prairie, studded with moats of tall cottonwoods, and bisected near its center by a small stream. A heavy belt of timber fringed the northern horizon, and towards this we directed our course. As we were now liable to come in contact with hostile parties of other tribes, Stone Hawan exercised great caution. Nearly a hundred runners or spies were sent in advance, while the main body advanced slowly, the chief receiving frequent reports from the scouts. About ten o'clock we halted on the banks of the Arroyo, and while watering our animals, one of the scouts returned and made some communication to our leader. In a few moments, it became known to the entire band that a large war party of Arapahoes had been discovered ahead. Beyond the belt of timber was a large grass prairie, a favorite haunt of the buffalo, and upon this the Arapahoes had halted to hunt and after getting a good supply of meat, were engaged in converting it into Teseo, preparatory to an extended raid upon the tribes of the southward. It is probable that we, ourselves, were intended to receive their polite attentions, but if this had been their object, it was frustrated by the fact that we were out upon the same errand as regarded themselves. At the eastern extremity of the prairie, a mountain rose from the plain. It was an isolated peak of small altitude, its height being but a few hundred feet, and in shape almost a perfect sugar loaf. The belt of timber which formed the southern boundary of the prairie extended to the mountain and fringed its base. Near the foot of the mountain, the Arapahoes were in bivouac, their horses grazing upon the plain. Long rows of stakes and lines were erected, and upon these the buffalo meat was hung in strips, and was fast blackening in the hot sun. Evidently, a few more hours would complete the process of its conversion into Teseo. A number of fires were kindled near the base of the mountain, and around these were grouped the Arapaho warriors, engaged in the usual Indian pastime of eating. A more favorable opportunity for attack could not be wished, provided 
we could approach near enough to take them by surprise. But to effect that promised to be difficult, as we would certainly be seen the instant we passed the timber, and in that case, surprise would, of course, be out of the question. Our leaders, Stone Hawan and Hisutucha, stood apart, apparently holding a sort of council of war. Their conference, however, was quickly ended. The renegade made some proposition to which Stone Hawan seemed to assent, for he signed us to mount, and we instantly resumed our march. In a few minutes, I was able to fathom their design from the course taken. Skirting the belt of timber, and screened by it from the views of the Arapahoes, we directed our course towards the Lone Peak. The timber belt was perhaps two hundred yards in width, and filled with a dense undergrowth. In its shadow, the spies crept along its northern margin, moving parallel to our course and keeping a close watch upon the enemy. The renegade's plan seemed to be to approach them as closely as possible under cover of the forest, and then make a sudden dash, taking them by surprise and effecting their utter rout. As events showed, I had judged correctly of the intentions of our leaders, or at least partially so, but there was one detail of the plan which I had not thought of which was presently put in execution. After riding slowly for about two hours, we reached the point, treaded off to the north, and encircled the mountain. Here, Stone Hawan halted the main body, but the band of Hisodicha, which numbered about sixty warriors, was reinforced by about the same number detailed from the chief's party, and sent round the mountain to attack the enemy in the rear. I was about running off with this party when Stone Hawan beckoned to me and on my riding up to him directed me to remain with him. I was quite surprised at this and looked towards Hisodicha, expecting that he would urge that I be permitted to accompany him. But to my still greater surprise, he did not seem to notice me at all, and with his band, soon disappeared behind a spur of the mountain. I had little opportunity, however, to reflect upon this circumstance, for our party was quickly put in motion, and passing through the wood, were soon ranged along its outer margin, sheltered from view by the thicket, and awaiting the signal to charge upon the foe. We were barely two hundred yards from their position, and could plainly distinguish the varied hues and designs of the war paint upon their persons. Their number was about equal to our own, and with the advantage of surprise, it seemed probable that we might utterly destroy them. Like hounds held in the leash, we awaited the signal. At last it came. The shrill notes of the war whistle pierced the air, 
and it was instantly followed by the wild intonation of the Comanche war whoop as we burst forth from the timber and charged with headlong fury upon the foe. For a moment, I thought that the surprise would be complete, for our sudden appearance seemed likely to completely demoralize the enemy. But the Arapahoes, although greatly surprised and alarmed at our sudden onslaught, showed no signs of panic. Indeed, it is next to impossible to really surprise an Indian. A few of those that were nearest to us were ridden down, transfixed with lances, or brained by blows from our war clubs and battle axes. But the larger number, hastily plucking up their lances and seizing their other weapons, rushed for their horses, and before we could reach them were mounted and forming to receive us. Riding at a headlong pace, a few seconds brought us upon them, and we closed at full speed. A confused and deadly melee followed, the combat being mainly hand-to-hand. Blows and lance thrusts were exchanged, arrows whistled through the air, ghastly wounds were given and received. The air resounded with the groans of wounded and dying men and the wild war cries of the contending warriors. Exactly what I did I hardly know, so great was the excitement and confusion. I know that I gave and received blows and mechanically defended myself from the attacks made upon me. But the incidents of that brief yet terrible struggle seem like a dream to me now. The impetus of our first charge had carried us entirely through the enemy's line. We then wheeled and charged them anew, and this maneuver was repeated many times. Our adversaries seemed to be getting decidedly the worse of the conflict and we could see unmistakable signs of an inclination on their part to take refuge in flight, when something seemed to suddenly change their determination, and they again assaulted us with renewed fury. We were not long in discovering the cause. During the fight, we had many times changed positions with our adversaries, and we were now facing towards the mountain. Attracted by a noise in our rear, we glanced in that direction to behold a sight that filled us with dismay. Approaching us at full speed was a party of fully 100 Arapahoes, evidently a detachment from the band we were fighting. Coming from the north, they had got within a quarter mile of us before we had discovered them. The tumult and confusion of the conflict preventing us from perceiving them sooner. As Hisso de Chaw and his party, from some unaccountable delay, had not arrived upon the ground, our position was a perilous one. In a moment, the new enemies would be upon us, and without doubt we would be overwhelmed. 
instant action on our part was imperative, and our leader, with ready perception of that fact, gave the signal to close in together and charge upon our immediate opponents. With a wild yell, we rushed upon them, breaking through their line and retreating rapidly towards the base of the mountain. Here, a number of large rocks had fallen upon the plain from the cliffs above and laid in such positions as to form a sort of natural breastwork. Indeed, the masses of rock from their peculiar formation and grouping had a striking resemblance to the ruins of some vast building. Behind these rocky bulwarks, we sheltered ourselves and prepared to receive the attack which we felt sure the Arapahoes, strengthened by their opportune reinforcement, would certainly make upon us. Indeed, we could see that they were preparing to do so, and I, having by this time had quite enough of fighting, was awaiting the assault with dread, when I was suddenly called by Stone Hawan. Hastening to his side, as he sat on his horse, he directed me to accompany one of the young braves who was standing by him, and had apparently received his instructions. These the chief repeated for my benefit. We were to ascend the mountain with all possible speed and send up from its summit a signal smoke to hasten the arrival of Hiso Dicha and his party, still unaccountably delayed. Leaving our horses and most of our weapons with the party, we set off at once. The wild yells of the Arapahoes as they advanced to the attack, ringing in our ears, and being echoed by the defiant war cry of the Comanches, as the latter prepared to receive the onslaught. End of chapter 26